gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? So we have, between the men's and women's tournaments, 12 teams that have clinched a spot in the Elite Eight so far. Because we've got four more teams to figure out here on the women's side. We have zero one seeds <laughs> and two two seeds. Mm. Mm. <laughs> this is on both sides. Obviously, zero one seeds in the men's elite eight. Two one seeds got knocked out before the Sweet Sixteen on the women's side. This is this has got to be some kind of. I don't exactly know how to measure it. We got ourselves well, historic tournaments here. Well, on the men's side, you can measure it by there's never been an elite never, eight without right. a one seed, and there's right. an elite eight this year without a one seed. So from that perspective, it literally is like it literally has never happened. So, and 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 from the women's side of things, right? It is it is measured much more. I don't know in a more, much more nuanced way than that, but but. Every year in the women's tournament that we get a little bit more carnage than we did the year before is inching closer to what the men's tournament is and the reasons that people get so excited for the men's tournament and things like Indiana losing in the round of 32 as a one seed and 12s beating fives and 11s beating sixes like that, that, hasn't always happened in the women's tournament and and now it does and it happens relatively consistently and you can do things like be locked into the five versus 12 matchups because somebody's probably going to lose and an 11 seed's probably going to be to six seed and and that's um especially early in the tournament what makes the tournament so fun and um so every every year that happens a little bit more on the women's side and that's a that's a fun thing yeah, and we'll get some more ones and twos because the one seeds that are remaining didn't play yesterday. And but regardless, yeah, we've never seen anything quite like this. Obviously, on the men's side, literally have never seen this. And you combine the two, this is mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how we talk about these tournaments at the end, especially the men's one because well, if South Carolina wins the women's, then that speaks for itself. But mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it is it is full March chaos. Well, get ready because at some point we'll uh, at some point we'll get all excited and declare that whoever wins the men's tournament was the best basketball team of the year. So get ready. <laughs> Is there There's any the- team left that if they won, you'd be like, I can like that you would be able to stand the idea of people saying was was that really the just the best team all year? You almost stole the words out of my mouth. Yes, one. Is it Texas? Yes. There's probably a case for that. Let me ask you a question. Um, with Chris Beard, are they in this position? That's – I was not ready for that question. I know, right? Yes. Yes. I can't think of a reason why they wouldn't be. Yeah. That's that's not to say that Rodney Terry didn't have to do anything. That's more I trust Chris Beard, the basketball coach, if right, what happened hadn't happened, that Rodney Terry is proving he's also a very good coach that is getting the most out of this team, and I have no reason to doubt that Chris Beard would have had all of the other stuff not happen. So I would say yes. And you've been pretty consistent about how you feel about Texas on both ends of the floor and how you've had the feeling that they are they might be the most well-rounded team in the country and metrics would suggest that they are one of the most well-rounded teams in the country. And even the teams that are by Kim Palm definition, more well-rounded like the Houston's of the world clearly had some shortcomings. Alabama had some shortcomings and um, Texas's are less, are less clear. And it's things like they could lock in a little bit more defensively on a more consistent basis, but that's a lot different than you rely too much on the three pointer. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. 
It's Saturday morning, 8.16 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It has been raining outside in Indianapolis for, I think, a year at this point. Like, it is, it's been roughly a year that it's been raining outside. And um, it continues to be wet on the ground outside this morning. But um, inside, here we are talking about college hoops. And we had two one-seeds go down last night, Josh. And... We had two one seeds go down in, I think, what you would describe as the ways that if those two one seeds were going to go down, that that's how they were going to, that's how it's going to happen. It was at least on the Alabama side and certainly, you know, Houston's offense at times last night did not, uh, did not exactly look prolific. And they, just needed a little more on that end of the floor and didn't exactly get it. Which one of these one seed losses would you like to start with? Let's start with number one overall seed. The number one overall seed, the Alabama Crimson Tad, the Tad. Fall to the San Diego State Aztecs. The Aztecs who are now 30 and six on the season after last night's win. 71 to 64. And, and, and this was, this was how it was probably going to happen, Josh, if it was going to happen and Alabama was going to lose in this tournament, it was probably going to look something like this. If they lost, I guess, I guess I'll put the caveat. If they lost before the final four, Mm -hmm. that it was probably going to look something like this real quick on the San Diego state side, 37.7% from the field. 6 of 17 from the three-point line, and they missed 9 of their 22 free throws. 13 of 22. So it ain't it ain't like the San Diego Aztec, San Diego State Aztec, just couldn't miss. It's, it's not like they ran away from Alabama and some no. incredible offensive performance that Alabama just couldn't quite keep up with because here's what happened on the offensive side of things for Alabama. 23 of 71. Three of 27 from the three-point line. Three of 27 and 15 of 20 from the, the free throw line. But the two big ones there are the overall field goal percentage and then three of 27 from the three-point line. The reliance on the three has kind of been there all year, and they did their best to try to get us to forget about it because at times it got really hard to not think, well, maybe they're just so much better than pretty much everybody that it won't matter until deep, deep into the tournament. And they would go on stretches where they looked absolutely unbeatable. And, but it was, it was probably always going to come at some point. I thought that it might've been the game against, what was it? Maryland? Yes. 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 Their round of 32 game. Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that might have been the game. I thought that might have been the game that had some inklings of, okay, maybe this is the one that they have to survive. In fact, it ended up being their Sweet 16 matchup that they needed to find a way to survive, and it did not happen, and they fell 71-64 to on a truly, truly atrocious shooting night. And this is also a story about matchups. And maybe not paying quite as much attention to them as we should have. Maybe. Just from the sense of, and I think we did mention this very briefly in our preview pod when the bracket came out, but they're, right, this was set up to be Virginia-San Diego State. The same thing would have happened, probably. I would argue, if Virginia was in this game instead. You, you're you facing an elite defensive team on a, and you are a team in Alabama that, right, is going to take 27 threes whether they go in or not. And what San Diego State was able to do is something most teams in the country can't do because they're not that good defensively. San Diego State is phenomenal on that end of the floor. And so they were able to create the 
the issues that I just w- wasn't sure were going to show themselves this extreme to kind of come out and that was weird phrasing, but to, I didn't think it was going to be this much of an issue. I didn't think they were going to have this kind of stinker because there are only so many teams that can create something like this, even though Alabama is kind of welcoming that possibility every time they take the floor because of the way they play. But San Diego State is one of those teams that can make it happen. And it's also interesting because to get here, you know, they were playing other mid-majors, 12, 13. They hadn't, they had just gotten and taken care of business, to be clear. But then they just kind of jumped from (laughs) Furman to the number one overall seed and took care of business there too. And did it on a day where Matt Bradley had six points on two of nine shooting and uh, got called for two fouls that I have some questions on that we don't need to get into. But he just caught he – caught, he caught bad breaks all around. And it still didn't matter because everybody else stepped up. They're, they're really good. They're elite defensively. And they made Alabama pay for doing what Alabama does. You know, I was looking because I was curious how many times that they had shot like really, really poorly this year. I went back. I I went to I went to just their their college basketball reference game logs page as a team because I was just I was curious. Like, what is it? What happened? Um. First of all, they shot. They were nine of thirteen from the three point line against Oklahoma. We're talking about that game. They lost 93 to 69. They were 9 of 13 from the three-point line in that game. As long as college basketball reference isn't just wrong. But that was their best <laughs> statistical three-point shooting. Their, their, their best three-point shooting game of the season, which was at least from a percentage perspective, not from a total makes perspective. That was against Auburn, a game that they only won in overtime, which is interesting. So, So at the bottom of this, so they had... They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games where they shot worse than twenty-five percent from the three-point line as a team. They won until last night, all eleven of them. Mm-hmm. Which is which is interesting because it kind of, and I don't know, you know, I I don't totally know if I was, I I, I was certainly part of that, but like. And two and two of their losses, they shot you know twenty six percent and twenty five percent. So two of their losses are just on the outside of this. But the other four losses that they took are much higher on this on this list of three point shooting percentage than than I would have expected. So most of the all of the time this year, in in by definition, their worst shooting performances of the season from a three point shooting perspective, they won all of them. Whether it's their one of eight against Maryland um, in the NCAA tournaments, um, at one point they went six of thirty-three against Vanderbilt, won that game by twelve. Um, one of thirteen against Mississippi State, won that game by twenty-three. Memphis, they were one of twelve and still scored ninety-one points and won the game. Ole Miss, I know, was bad, but two of twenty-four and they won the game by twenty-two. Um, this is not exactly painting the same picture that I thought it was going to, but at the same time was exactly the way that I thought Alabama was going to lose in the tournament. It's an interesting, it's an interesting list of games to look at because then I go, okay, well maybe they turned it over a gajillion times in all of those games. And it's like, not really like they, they certainly weren't the best at taking care of the basketball, but you know, there are a couple of, you know, like not great turnover performances like they in the Auburn overtime win where they knocked down 12 to 20, they turned the ball over 17 times. But like if you add two or three in the, in the overtime, then you're like in a normal, like a relatively normal spot for this particular Alabama team. So nothing especially like stuck out there. Anyways, I just found it. I, I like, like I think that's the correct picture to paint of with this Alabama team. Like, I don't think that's incorrect. 
but at the same time, it doesn't exactly play itself out on in their game logs the way that I thought it would be. And it does a disservice to their season to lump this with it, this loss this season in with past teams where you you could look at the box score and go, mm-hmm. oh, they had a stinker from the three point line. That's why they lost, right? right. Because that was not – they overcame that this season, which is why I was m- way more confident in them. Not confident enough to pick and win a national championship because it still is a flaw. And your margin of error gets slimmer when you're playing the best teams in the country, not Vanderbilt and Mississippi, you know, Ole Miss or Mississippi State or whoever it might be. Where now all of a sudden it becomes an even bigger issue because this is a really good San Diego State team and – a San Diego State team that, to your point, can actually bother you and stop you from getting to the basket too, right? Because that's kind of how this team has been able to overcome the three-point shooting when it hasn't happened is they change course. San Diego State, again, elite defensive team. I didn't think anybody until the Elite Eight, maybe, and the Final Four specifically, was going to have what it took to get both things to go the way that San Diego State did. And clearly, I was just wrong on that. But I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, we got to separate this. Yes, it came down to the three-point shooting and the fact that Brandon Miller had an atrocious tournament. But it's not like this was this glaring hole or glaring weakness that was costing them games all season. No, I think it can be both, though. I think it sure, was right, a glaring right. weakness, but I don't think it was a glaring weakness that was causing them to yes. lose a bunch of games. Right. It made them vulnerable in the NTA tournament. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think but I think that's that's fair and why this is probably the best Alabama team that we've seen is Without because they because they found ways to win games, even when that glaring hole showed itself and it didn't it didn't always matter. And at some point in this tournament, it was going to matter. And that's where both of us came down on Alabama and the NCAA tournament is that at some point it was going to matter and they were going to lose like, because of that, that's what I thought. I thought they were going to run into a team that was playing too well to get away with shooting exactly like what they shot mm-hmm. in this game. Um, and then, you know, when one of the things that I think helped that, and that they didn't necessarily have last, you know, didn't have the last couple of years is a guy like Brandon Miller to lean on when things weren't going well. And, and that's the other big thing from Alabama's tournament run. And part of the reason that it ended prematurely and it, 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 he wasn't great in this game. He was really quite the opposite in this game, but it, it is a larger scope and a larger commentary on his NCAA tournament as a whole. Uh, he was, Three of 19 from the floor for nine points in this game. One of 10 from the three-point line. 11 rebounds, but he had six turnovers. And that adds to his totals, which are the following for the NCAA tournament, Josh. Three games. 28 points, 8 of 41 from the field. Three of 19 from the three-point line. Six assists to just 10 turnovers or I guess 10 turnovers to just six assists that was the performance that Brandon Miller put together in the NCAA tournament he didn't score in the first round and even though he had 19 in their second game of this tournament it was a 19 on 19 shots kind of thing I think it was 5 of 19 from the field in that particular game maybe 5 of 18 but somewhere in that somewhere in that vicinity it uh, was not exactly the shining moment for what will likely be one of the top three picks in the NBA draft in in, in June. Yeah. And like, like you said, that's the other part of this is he was the secret to overcoming, right, the, vulner- the inherent vulnerability in the way that they approach the game. Mm-hmm. And he was just not not able to paper over the cracks in this tournament. And there's a whole nother conversation to be had about kind of his mental headspace with, with all of this and the way Alabama's handled it. And we don't need to get into that today. 
I will just say I am just glad that we don't have to get to a Final Four, get to a national championship game, potentially get to a national champion with all of the just icky, uncomfortable feelings that would have come had Alabama continued to advance. Mm. That's that's not me wishing them failure, but it was going to be part of the story because of what's happened this season. And so that needs to be acknowledged as they exit that it would have, it just would have been really uncomfortable and awkward had they ended up winning this thing. And so now this is kind of, I mean, it's still going to come because Brandon Miller is going to go to the draft and it's going to be part of that. But from a college basketball, from a store NCAA tournament storyline standpoint, it is now no longer part of the conversation. Agreed. Another one seed lost last night. They did. 89-75, the Miami Hurricanes beat the Houston Cougars. 89 points against Houston is ridiculous. <laughs> Preposterous. Led by the backcourt that's been the nucleus of of everything at Miami this year. Uh, Nigel Pack, 26 on 8 of 12 shooting, 7 of 10 from the three-point line. Almost as good as Luke Kennard last night. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Wong, 20 points, 5 of 11 from the field, got to the free throw line 11 times and successfully converted on nine of them and uh, double figures for all five starters for Miami and this was one of those games that that felt like it was played at Miami's pace. And at some point, Houston, who not necessarily built from built to play from behind, had to play from behind pretty early and didn't didn't put together the defensive performance that that they needed to get it done. It actually got worse in the second half from a points in perspective. 42-36 Miami was winning this game at halftime. They put up 47 in the second half and to see a team after we watched Houston play defense and just play all year to watch them go out in a game that that is not of the, you know, 64 to 59 perspective, but an 89 75 and for Houston to not even play that that poorly on the offensive end, like it wasn't great. I mean, Marcus Sasser was four of 12, Jarris Walker was four of 16. It wasn't it certainly wasn't great. But um, to watch Houston lose by 14 in a game that they scored 75 points and that's how they exit the tournament is um, is not exactly something I was I was expecting to see. But uh, it was Miami led by that backcourt that was able to get it done. Yeah. And another story of matchups. This is the and we talked about this had Iowa gotten out of that first round game. This idea of. Yeah. They're not as good as Houston, obviously. <laughs> but on the if you catch them on the wrong day, they're scoring 80 no matter what because they're Iowa. And Miami has some of those similar vibes because of these guards. Right. When they shoot 44% from three, and they take 25 of them, you're in trouble. <laughs> and great offense is always going to beat great defense. There just aren't very many teams in the sport that can do this offensively. I saw De'Aaron Fox talking about how he can't even watch a full game in college basketball because one of the things he pointed out was the lack of shot making. Miami doesn't have that problem. <laughs> and so here we are again with this team that was just, I mean, obviously they were good during the regular season. They shared a ACC regular season title in a down year, but here they are in the Elite Eight again because of these guards. Yep. And I just completely dismissed that last season and that was a mistake because they're doing it again Jim Laranega another guy who just knows how to do this going back to George Mason and now he's done it twice with Miami getting to the Elite Eight yeah it it was jarring to see Houston's defense get ripped to shreds like that and it's also now did I think it was going to be this way that they lost no but it it still is my fundamental concern with Houston and the way that you when you're trying to win one dimensionally is when things go haywire because they will and when you can't dictate the terms of a game you can't play the play out the script the way you want to 
do you have the ability to overcome it? Mm-hmm. And you could argue scoring 75 points implied the answer was yes. <laughs> because this wasn't just a team scoring some points. Mm-hmm. This was a ridiculously good offensive performance. Right. But you're not going to be able to hold every team to 48, 52, 56 points. And you you got a hot team, right? Clearly, if you get this far, you're playing well. And they stepped it up to a whole nother level, clearly. But it's it's the concern with Houston. It's the concern with Virginia. And sometimes it's just better to be good at the right time than good throughout the season. <laughs> and that's Miami was just kind of saving all the firepower. Say we'll get up, we'll get there, put ourselves in a decent position, you know, have a regular season title to make sure we get a fine seat, and then just let these guards go. And that was quite something they put on the show. So, so Alabama, so excuse me, Houston finishes the season thirty three and four. If they give up, if if they had scored seventy five points in, in like every game that they played this season, instead of the point total that they scored in that game. If they just scored mm-hmm. 75 points, they would have only lost one game that they won. They would have lost to South Florida, a game that they actually won 83 to 77. They would have won, they would have lost that game 77 75, and they would have tied Memphis at the end of regulation 75 75 in the AAC tournament <laughs> final. Other than that, the the results are exactly the same. Um, They would have beaten Alabama, the game that they Mm -hmm. lost, 75 to 71. They would have beaten Temple 75 to 56. Um, That one still is a little bit. um, (laughs) Um, My point being is that that they – like I have a hard time knocking them for not yeah. being able to withstand 75 points when they didn't let it like this was the first time that anyone scored mm-hmm. 80 on them all year. Yep. And I I I I just struggle a little bit. Like at some point, right. Like scoring 75 is, is like should be enough. Like I just think this is more about Houston's defense falling apart in a way I didn't think it was. It, it, that that there's a there was a performance out there that could make Houston's defense as helpless yes. as it was last night. I just I wasn't sure that that was the case. I didn't yeah, think I that gonna... offense existed, and and last night it just did. And I don't know if it was only Miami and, and only on that night that that was possible. Excuse me, amateur podcaster here, going to turn off my phone sound. Um, and and it just was, and I I didn't I didn't think that that was at least for it to look as helpless as it did by the time the game was you know and, and it got a little it got a little closer and it was like okay there are still four minutes left in this game this game is not over yet but it was kind of it was it, it got inevitable pretty quickly to the point where as long as Miami didn't make absolutely atrocious mistakes they were going to win at the under four timeout and. That's that was more what I was not expecting because I would I I would was I a little worried about Houston's offense getting them all the way to the final four and getting them to a national championship sure because that was the thing to point to if you were trying to come up with reasons why that one seed wasn't going to make it to the final four but right. I also like I wasn't that worried, and if you told me that no, they, they don't, scored, they don't lose this game, right? The, like if you told me that they were gonna gonna score seventy five against yep. Miami, I would have given them a pretty good chance to win. Now against mm-hmm. Miami, the number six offense in the country this year, the like that might have just barely been enough, like seventy five, seventy three. Like I would have expected it to be close, but to lose by fourteen, I um. And to give up a better than fifty percent from the floor percentage, and to give up eleven of twenty-five from the three-point line, those things um, I would not have been ready for. Yeah, this is not. This is not. We need to rewrite Houston's season. We need to rewrite Kelvin Sampson's NCAA tournament legacy. This is the point that I continue to bring up time and time again. Things happen. You picked. They just drew Miami on the wrong night. 
right? If Indiana wins that game, they probably beat IU and they're back in the Elite Eight playing Texas for a spot to go home in the Final Four. Mm -hmm. They just happened to get the offensive juggernaut and the offensive juggernaut just happened to explode on them. I don't even think this is about their defense. To me, this is more about Miami's offense and just there is clearly, if Houston can't do anything about it, nobody can do anything about it. Right, right. Yeah, I, it's, to me, it's kind of both that these are the kind of things I'm still not convinced that Houston can overcome for six games. And I will keep saying that. But this also doesn't change my confidence in Houston's ability to get to Elite Eights and Final Fours because they've been as good as anybody at not losing the, to the teams they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And they just so happened to get incredibly unlucky with the Miami team that showed up on the floor, which again, in a tournament where you know, a lot of guards have struggled outside of Marquise Noel to, you know, Tyler Kolick loses in the second round. Miami's guards weren't spectacular. Alabama's guards weren't spectacular. You know, you can go down the list. You know, the teams remaining, we're not talking about some of the, I mean, Texas's guards are obviously very good, but this hasn't been a guards dominating tournament outside of Noel and Miami's are <laughs> Miami's are also the exception to that and a reminder right. that guards win in March guards do in fact win in March anything else on this game no I think I think that's it to me there's a very interesting Kelvin Sampson legacy discussion not because of this game in particular but just now you're going to the big 12 what does this look like can they continue without Marcus Sasser to be what they've been the past couple seasons? Obviously, it's a it's a top five program in the country at this point. But can they can they keep that up? And also, I guess the other thing that we're going to get an answer to now, not that we need to have a discussion about this, but what is the difference between the Big Twelve and the AAC? Mm. Yeah, I think there's. Can, I think the the way to quantify that might just be: is this Apex Houston? Right. Is it Apex Kelvin Sampson? From a how we feel about Houston, because there's a world in which yep. it's not. There's a world in which that we get to a point where the Big Twelve goes through Houston, right? Like mm-hmm. like that. That could be the apex of this era of elite Houston basketball, or it could just be this, or it could be you know yep. some one seeds and you know getting to the number one you know team in the AP poll and you know that kind of thing. Um, or maybe it gets even higher than that. I think that's the thing I'm looking most closely at the next 24 yep. months. Because one of the things that doesn't get discussed enough, at least for me, is we always talk about how you need to, you know, you need to win games, not and you know, the the Oklahoma State of the world who, you know, finish 500 under 500 in Big 12 play or whatever. You know, why are we letting these teams two games over 500 in the NCAA tournament? The flip side to that is how many teams would go into the AAC and win 16, 18 conference games because they're not playing Kansas and Kansas State and Texas and et cetera every single night in conference play. That part of it never seems to get discussed of how many teams are capable of doing what Team X did in a weaker conference. We're going to get a really good litmus test for that when – Houston, who has dominated the AAC and, you know, might lose to Memphis, but that's about it in conference play, Mm -hmm. is now going into the Big 12. We're going to find out exactly what the – at least have an example and some data on what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and to be fair to Houston, they had had transcended that conversation about, well, are they just doing something that a Power Power 5 team could have done in the AAC as well? If they were flaming out in the tournament immediately after winning 18 conference games, then we can have that conversation. And they play a real non-conference schedule too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you're you're right. There's two sides to to that coin when it comes to conference performance. When you're moving to a the Big Twelve and trying to uh, compare them to their new power conference opponents, uh, what those teams might have done in the AAC as well. Uh, the other two yeah, that was that was sorry that was not a shot at Houston. Sure, sure, sure that sure. was just Houston is going to be a a test case for this general conversation. Yeah, the other two games in this on this Thursday evening had one team that was better than the other. Um, mm-hmm. Number six, Creighton 
uh, puts an end to the run for the number 15 Princeton Tigers. 86-75, the final score. There are some really nice individual performances from some Princeton players. Um, um, I mean, you got you got 40 from two guys. That's 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 pretty 50. good. Excuse me, 50. Man. Man. Two thirds of the team's points, yeah. That's correct. Fifty of the seventy-five coming from you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation of this first guy's name. F Boomwan. Yeah, I heard it on the broadcast, and uh, now I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think it's a good um, one. I got this one locked down. Ryan Langborg. <laughs> Ryan Langborg. I, got, I got that Again. one locked down. Um, but he had himself a tournament. But they, Shout out to Ryan they did have he did have himself a tournament of uh, 50 points between the two of them. Um, his first name was to- see. I could Tosan. Tosan. That would be my guess. Ten of twenty-two from the from the field for him. Eleven of seventeen for Ryan Langborg. That's third twenty-one of thirty-nine. It's not bad. Um, but Creighton was what we would call the better basketball team. Uh, Baylor Shireman twenty-one nine and four. Like that might be the stat line I've been waiting for all year. Like yeah. <laughs> like not not to if five of seven from the three-point line, eight of eleven from the field. Not to suggest that I have four steals. Um, not to suggest that he hasn't been good this year because he has, but like that was the stat line I was envisioning when he when he transferred to Baylor. I mean, excuse me, Creighton, Baylor cr- transferring to Creighton. Um, that was the, that was what I was envisioning from 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 peak Creighton. That's the kind of impact I was expecting. That I was kind of envisioning envisioning that Shireman would have. Ryan Cockburner, twenty two and five. Nine of twelve from the field. He was he that that I would consider that solid as well. Um, Trey Alexander nineteen on six of eleven shooting. Ryan Nimhard was was just fine from a scoring from the scoring department. Nine points, eight assists uh, to four turnovers. Um, Arthur Kaluma added ten points of his own. Not a ton from the bench, but you didn't especially need it. And the Blue Jays march right into the Elite Eight, taking care of business in an 11-point victory. Yeah, the, I think it was the 4-3 for Shireman. He banked in, and then the, you know, the stats flash across the screen, and he's 4-4 four four from three, and you go, oh, uh, he's just having a day. Sorry. <laughs> There's nothing. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for playing, man. Right. <laughs> he's hitting the ones he doesn't even shoot correctly. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Eighty six, seventy five. Any anything else you'd like to like? There's just after. I mean, Princeton made a push, and like in like middle of the first half, this game was basically tied. I mean, even later into the first half than that, this game was basically tied. It was forty seven, forty three at the end of the first half. It, but but for me, it was you know I never was really scared that Creighton was going to lose this basketball game pretty much from the jump and it kind of maintained that throughout the game yeah i've expressed how I've, we've talked about creighton mm-hmm. at length the one thing i do want to say is just round of applause for princeton yeah a for showing up in this game you know they made enough threes to stay in it they shot 43 percent, 9 to 21 they didn't have enough in the end of the day and right nobody outside of their top two guys scored more than nine points right but you beat Arizona, you back that up by beating Missouri, you show up in this game for a team coming out of you know the Ivy League that has been through so much in terms of shutting down during COVID, and they haven't exactly had an easy path to get here. Mm. And to put in three really good performances, you got to give got to give this team credit that it's easy to just kind of dismiss them as a 15 seed, but they proved that. However, the season went, <laughs> what they're doing now is legit. They put in three really good performances. It just wasn't enough at, against an excellent Creighton team playing really well at the end of the day. And there's absolutely no shame in that. And it's fun to watch a, a, a really high seed like that or a low seed like that not go out in a game that they're like, – like they were clearly outmatched by Creighton, but also not – the scoreboard didn't suggest so. Right, I think mm-hmm. it, it's it's fun to watch a team go out in a game where they look like they belong still, rather right. than getting to a point where it's just kind of a game that they clearly don't belong anymore. 
right? Or, mm-hmm. or that they are just so outclassed from a talent perspective that it's just overwhelming. And yeah. and that wasn't the case in this game. Uh, no, this could this could have been a Big East team traveling to play in Omaha, right? Not like not like I mean, just to be clear, like not like not all encompassing. Just like this would be the type of performance that a Big East right. team would right. Would Offer up on the road on a random. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a Big East quality performance against a mm-hmm. really good great team, and they keep on marching. I mean, we look we're, we're looking real good over there over there yeah, in, in the South Region right now. I'm I'm, I'm gonna keep it a buck with you. Um, I'm gonna keep it a buck, and you look really good in the Midwest. You look really good in the Midwest because you've got the keys, you've got the the title, you've got the ownership, you've got whatever you want over the team that looks like they're the best team in that region, uh, that being the Texas Longhorns. 29 and 8, they now are on the season after an 83-71 win over Xavier. Josh and I were hanging out last night with our with our other esteemed colleague Chris Brown. Yes, that is his name, and yes, he has he is as spectacular as he sounds. Um, <laughs> I w- we were hanging out watching hoops, and this was the last game of the evening. And when I think it was Timmy Allen, was that who was that? I think so. When he when Timmy Allen, yeah, because he was one of one from the three point line. Timmy Allen doesn't shoot threes. Um, when Timmy Allen banked in that shot at halftime, I left. I went home. I was like, I, I don't need to see anymore. This, this is just over. I don't need to see any more of it. And I was right. It got a little closer in the second half, 46-41. Xavier won the second half. But uh, when, you, when you dig yourself a 42-25 hole in the first half against Texas, don't mess with Texas, um, it's, it's probably not going to go well for you. I mean, like Dylan DeSue had zero points. Dylan Mitchell had and, and well Dylan DeSue, Dylan DeSue only came in so that he could say he played in the Sweet Sixteen, right? For all intents and purposes, Dylan DeSue was out of this game with injury, right? Which was uh, it is a concern moving forward. It, it brought Cunningham one point, um, just like you got you got three or four really really high quality performances in this game from your backcourt in Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr. Both of them had. 18 and 19 respectively. Uh, they had eight assists combined to just three combined turnovers. Sir Jabari, I salute Sir Jabari Rice, 16 on six of 10. Like he might be like, he might, he's got to be the, the, the national six player of the year, right? Um, he's got to be up there. Is, is that an actual award? I don't think so. No, but I think we should just give it to him. I think Absolutely. we should just give it to him. Like, I can't, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I can't, like, like I'm not sure who else would would even be in consideration. No, he might be. I mean, there's an argument. He's the best player on their team. <laughs> Maybe it's Maybe. how many games did Quinterly start this year? Did he start too many? I don't know how many games he started because Quinterly is the other think... name that came to my mind. But yeah, he's not on Serge Ibari's level though. It's probably true. It's probably true. I mean. I would agree with that statement, but he was just, that was the other, that was the other name that, that came yeah. to my mm-hmm. mind. But uh, he yeah. had 16 on six of 10 shooting. Um, maybe Christian Bishop is also in the running for sixth man of the year. I don't know. He had 18 <laughs> and nine on eight of 12 shooting. Uh, deep is thy Texas team. And um, they were just better than Xavier on this particular night. Yep. And Adam Kunkel, eight of 10 shouts. I am happy for him because it just seems like every time I watch them, he just – and I know that the numbers don't really back this up because he is a very good three-point shooter. It just seems like he misses a lot of shots. And, yeah, that was not the case in this game. He was excellent. Just didn't get enough from the rest of the squad. And Xavier had that first-half performance, 25 points. This was kind of the story of – well, outside of the their last game where they made everything that they took, right? Bad first – First half, can you come back in the second half? Against Kennesaw State, you can do that. Texas, you can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. And from a Texas standpoint, yeah, the, the beautiful thing about having seven starters is, you know, Timmy Allen missed time in the Big 12 tournament. Didn't matter. Dylan DeSue effectively didn't play in this game. Didn't matter. At some point, it probably matters. We'll see. Because 
And especially with Dassault because of what he gives you defensively and how good he's been recently. But then you're also looking at – now, the, the other problem here is, okay, you've got you got Miami Florida to deal with first. And then you have the other best team remaining in this tournament, whoever wins that other's regional final. Mm-hmm. If you're on the other side of the bracket, I would be a little bit less concerned about it. But we're going to get the – we're going to get the two best teams in this tournament remaining, assuming that Texas beats Miami. Or mm. actually, maybe even regardless, because if Miami beats Texas, that means they did what they did to Houston yep. in that Final Four game. And so that's where it's a little bit of a concern. They just It just doesn't matter, though. It's remarkable what they're able to do to just adjust and figure out what the pieces that are available, how to, how to make it work. And yeah, they're... This is one of the better NTA tournament prediction wise I've had. And I know you feel the same way with you having Creighton in the final four, for example, that's looking awfully good right now. So maybe we do know what we're talking about at least a little bit. Yeah. But then Purdue lost to a number 16 seed. So yeah, Mm. you can't get them all right. And then, yeah, he's, you know, (laughs) and I would argue that was as much because of just, you decided that, you're going to pick Purdue until Matt Painter does it rather mm. than you actually picking Purdue, right? You were just yeah, team right. Matt Painter. Yeah. That can be the justification at least. And here Gonzaga is, they're going to go win the national championship. And I'm not going to have picked them <laughs> to win the national championship. It's fine. It's fine. But yes, if I get two of my, of the four teams I projected to make the final four in the final four, that's like pretty good year for me. Mm-hmm. Because trying to predict the NCAA tournament is silly, silly. Um, it, it was funny when the oh when the Creighton game went final. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the percentile of my bracket just because Creighton won, right? This has nothing to do with max points. This has nothing to do with just adding the points that Creighton gets from winning that Sweet Sixteen game. <laughs> the bracket went up twenty percentiles or Love something that. like that. <laughs> Love that for you. Love that it just made me laugh. That we're getting to the point where right. And it's always my my kind of my bracket thing. I'm not going to get them all right in the first couple rounds. I don't try and predict the chaos because that's a waste of energy for me. What I try and get is Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, the storylines and, and kind of how this tournament's going to develop, What the a good thought process for it. And so it does. Watching all these games and these teams all season does have its benefits. <laughs> Last thing. Successful Xavier season. First year under Sean Miller. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with that. If they lose to Kennesaw State, successful? (sighs) Can I say not successful or disappointing? That's a cop-out, but sure. Yeah. If you got to give me one or the other, I'll still say successful because I don't. I don't care about the NCAA tournament stuff as we've established. Now that's only because it's Sean Miller's first season. Sure. Yeah. Because that's why I said you are Sean Miller's first season. Right. Right. If that was year two, year three, different conversation because this team should be up at the top of the big East. I would argue they should have been better as a whole. The body of work should have been better than it was. No Zach Fremantle for a big chunk. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's definitely part of it. You didn't have a lot of depth. And the, the most important thing though, is he clearly made a difference and made this team better and got that fan base excited again after a lot of frustration that trumps everything else. So yes, ultimately without a doubt, successful season. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think if you get to a point where your season ends because you lost to a team that's better than you, Right. Um, then mm-hmm. especially when it comes in the sweet 16, like that's, yep. that's not a horrible place to bow out. It's when you, it's when things go awry and you lose to a bunch of teams you shouldn't. And then your season ends because you lost to a team you shouldn't that, uh, that then we can get into a not successful, but I would think, let, let me put it this way. If I'm talking to a Xavier fan, that's disappointed by this season. I think you need to, I think you need to Correct. adjust your expectations. Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what else you wanted from Sean Miller's first season. That was actually that was actually something a conclusion that logical people would actually come to. Because they yeah. were just weren't they, they weren't better than Texas, and they weren't better than Texas all year. So right, 
They were a top 15 team. Right. And Texas was a top five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. You Doesn't need more complicated than that. You got anything else? You want to make predictions for today real quick? Yeah, sure. Why not? Today on the <laughs> slate, Saturday, March 25th. You got two games. We're to that point. Florida Atlantic versus Kansas State is the first game. That's at 6.09 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on TBS at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. What say you, Florida Atlantic, Kansas State? If you pick against Jerome Tang at this point, <laughs> I mean, that's that's your that more power to you. But uh, But who you got in the early game tonight? I'm going with the Wildcats. The Wildcats. I. Yeah. I, Wildcats. I, I, I don't. Sorry, that's there the wrong Wildcats. My bad. <laughs> I don't want to pick against Marquise Noel in that building. They have the best two players on the floor. They should win this game, <laughs> which is something that Fort Atlantic hasn't really faced yet. I know Tennessee was a four seed. I don't care. We've been over this. Mm-hmm. That was not full strength Tennessee, and that's a vul- inherently vulnerable Tennessee team. We both picked Fort Atlantic to win that game. The fact that we are both very much not picking Fort Atlantic to win this one tells you the difference between the two. Yep. Can they do it? Absolutely. This isn't to say that Fort Atlantic has no chance. They're an excellent basketball team who, by the way, are going to win more games than anybody in the country this season. That might even be final. I would have to go look. I think it has but, to be. Well, good. Well, no, San Diego State could match them. Yeah, okay, I didn't. Because San Diego Diego State is, no, well, I'm going to go look while you're talking, but yes. So, but right, Houston is gone. No, I lied. It was Alabama who had 31 wins. San Diego State Ah, is only 30 and 6. So even if they won the national championship game, they would still only get to 33 wins. So there you go. 34 wins is going to be the most Florida Atlantic already Uh, has it. I take it back, Gonzaga's 31 and 5. They could still, they could tie them. Yeah. Freaking okay. Gonzaga. Freaking Mark Few. <laughs> ruining everything. Just... <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Gonzaga. So, yeah. They haven't clinched it yet, but obviously they belong here. They are not phony by any stretch of the imagination. They're just, like Xavier, going to run into a team that's better than them. And Kansas State's going to take advantage of this glorious path that got laid out. <laughs> Look at that. Look at Kansas State. I got Kansas State. I, ha- as well. I have a I have a Kansas State Tang theory that I'm going to save until their season ends one way or another. Oh boy! All right. All right. Was it just? Is it like Scott Drew is underneath his hat, like pulling like Ratatouille? <laughs> is that your theory? No, it's just about what the program becomes moving forward. All right. Fair. UConn, number four. UConn, number four seed. That is number three. Gonzaga. At loss at, at T-Mobile Arena, not to be confused with the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. That is the that is the 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 home of the West Region this year, and UConn will take on Gonzaga. Um, both team, I mean, UConn's looked incredibly convincing. Gonzaga has gotten it done so far. Yep. Um, <laughs> and here they are. They will meet at eight forty nine p.m. on TBS. What say you, Mr. Doring? I mean, I'm riding with Gonzaga. With the Zags, he said. I don't feel great about it, but I'm not, I, I'm not backing down from my Final Four pick now. Uh, if I'm if I'm UConn, a UConn fan, I'm almost scared that they're playing too well. I'm anti that kind of like thought, but I get what you're what you're saying. Because I almost feel like we're to the point where either this is going to – and again, it's difficult because of this side of the bracket that you also have Gonzaga and Texas you have to get through, mm-hmm. theoretically. Because otherwise, I mean, if, if they just keep this up, they're probably going to win the whole thing. But they, you know, Texas is one of the te- – the, maybe the only team out there that can match them at their height. Because mm. I'm not sure Gonzaga can, to be quite honest. If you get the very best version, well, if you get the very best version of Gonzaga, they can. But we haven't seen that yet. So that's the other part of this is what Gonzaga shows up. But I'm not backing down from my Final Four pick. And no matter me. and no matter what version of Gonzaga shows up, that's the best team that UConn will have played in this tournament. 
Correct. Yeah. Because they didn't have to play Kansas. Mm-hmm. No, they yeah. took care of business everywhere else. But <laughs> right. Gonzaga in that version of, also, Arkansas right. and of Arkansas are in a different class. Yes. And Gonzaga's already had to play TCU and UCLA. This should be I'm really looking this should be phenomenal. I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. Um um I wasn't there pre tournament to pick Mark Few to win the national championship. I am not putting <laughs> myself in the position when I have an opportunity again. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going with the Zags. Um, the thing that right, it all starts with that matchup down low between Drew Timmy yep. and and Adama Snogu. Can Drew Timmy be efficient against a guy that is more physically imposing than he is? Right? Can like a guy that that will be able to be physical with him and that he's not going to overwhelm with his size and like. Can he be super efficient? Because if he can, then we'll, then we can talk. But he's got to win that matchup. For me, that's where it starts. Because mm-hmm. because if UConn's guards play just like good, they're probably going to win that side of the matchup. Because UConn's guards is just are just better than Gonzaga's guards night in night out. Even though they have their inconsistencies, it's not as inconsistent as Gonzaga's guards can be on some nights. Or um, consi- as consistently uninspiring. Right. So so that's where that's where it starts for me. The other thing is like who in the world guards Donovan Klingon when he comes in off the bench? Like <laughs> like in theory there are some there are some options, but like pff, nobody nearly as productive, right? Um so so those are the it, it like Gonzaga because they have Drew Timmy because he's one of the best players in the country he needs to find a way to be the most productive big man in this game then we can talk mm-hmm. um, yes but if he if but if if UConn plays at a really high level and the level that they've played the first three games to get here I think I I agree with you that if they they bring that performance and Sonogo is really hard to stop in the middle and Jordan Hawkins is really great. Um, then that's the I, I'm not totally sure Gonzaga can keep up with that, but we'll see. Unless this is unless this is the game where the guards show up, yeah, right, right. That's there's assuming no, that that we don't get an outlier game from the guards, right? There's just no reason to assume that's what's going to happen. But so, with all of yeah, that, Timmy being needs said, to be the best player on the floor. But with all of that being said, I'm not going to be the guy who misses out <laughs> twice on picking Mark Few to get to the final four. Not going to be that yep. guy. So here I am. At least I can remain consistent. You know what I'm saying? Remain consistent. Yes, are, I picked. Put- yes, I picked Purdue go to, Purdue to go to the Final Four, and they lost as a number one seed to a number sixteen. But here I am, batting with the same bat again. <laughs> and if I strike out again, that's just fine. That's just fine. All right. Anything else? It just kind of makes me, I guess, laugh. I wanted to find a different phrase, and I'm just tired, so I didn't have one. <laughs> but we're probably going to get two UConn teams in the Elite Eight, assuming the women's team takes care of business. It's just funny to me that the other team out there is Miami. Somehow, someway, they've, I guess, <laughs> they're taking down one seeds on both sides. And in Maddie Seager's career, and in Marcus Sasser's career. And I all money talks. It were, I mean, this is a very interesting story kind of heading into next season with the runs that both these teams are making. I leave you with the only thing I know how to. Um, last night, the Memphis Grizzlies were 25 of 42 from the three point line. <laughs> last night, Luke Kennard was 10 of 11 from the three point line. Uh, last night, Desmond Bain was 5 of 7. Tri- Tyus Jones was 3 of 4. Dylan Brooks was 2 of 3. And they shot 61% as a team. That's, that's all I did know. Luke, that's all I know how to leave you with. Did Luke Kennard end 10 of 11 from the field? That's, that's correct. That's my favorite part. That's correct. Excellent. He was, he had yes. 30 points on 10 of 11 from the field and all 30. <laughs> he, t- he took no free throws. No free throws. No free throws, no two points. He was just 10 of 11 from the three-point line. <laughs> That's all I know how to leave you with. Please subscribe to the Jay Strayers podcast on Apple. His middle name is does not start with J, by the way. I it's Douglas. I appreciate it's, the effort. It's Douglas, so it's unfortunate. <laughs> um, not, uh, not, not, not a ricochet shot at Douglas, just a ricochet shot at that it's not Jacob or something like that. Um, Please subscribe to the Jay Strays Podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jay Strays Pod. You can find the YouTube video versions of this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search up Jay Strays Podcast in the search bar, and you should find 
us there. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. We'll be back tomorrow on Sunday morning to recap tonight's Elite Eight games. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs>